All right. Are we all ready? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what Steve wants when he says chizuk, you know. I, I'm, I don't sell Judaism, and I certainly don't use Judaism as a psychological tool to feel good or some stuff like that. I'm sorry. For me, uh, Judaism is an expression of um, uh, kind of agony that I have to deal with. It's very dark. And, um, you know, I can tell you, as we're now into, what, week two of this, that this isn't the first time we had uh, this in history. We had 100,000 Londoners, close to a quarter of the population, equivalent to 2 million today who died in the 1665 it, it was it was horrible and uh, the measures taken uh, were also draconian this plague assaulted the european cities of the middle east, middle east in ways that almost we can say precipitated the renaissance there was a social dislocation of the major cities of europe in in ways we just couldn't imagine and isolation and quarantine was so much that the Italian uh, army was called out to cordon off Venice and uh, big cities, and ch and society changed forever. Um, the way the notion of public health became, for the first time, and um, something that uh, became institutionalized. Politics changed, and um, so we don't know what this is going to do. Um, I'm a kind of, you know, as I've said many times, a post-Holocaust theologian. And so I've been struggling with how I deal with the text of my tradition, uh, which were handed down to me, that dealt with catastrophe and the evil without and the evil within. And so I keep going back to Midrash because uh, it had to do with what was purportedly, certainly until the Shoah, uh, in the national Jewish psyche, the greatest trauma of our history, the Churban. And looking at the ways that Chazal codified that trauma in their view of the world, uh, in Midrash, which would be Tanaitic Midrash in the 2nd century and Amoraic Midrash and later in the 5th to the 7th century, really, in a way, helped me along my trajectory and to see how I could, instead of just jettisoning our tradition, try and plumb it uh, for its depths, how to deal with, with catastrophe. And that means how to deal with the divine. So when you say chizuk, the chizuk for me is finding texts uh, that allow me to express, you know, my anger, resentment, rage, and final acceptance uh, of the trauma of my own family who were killed uh, in the Holocaust, but also in dealing with my, the evil within me, you know, the addictions within me. And I have to say how disappointed I am in the drivel that's coming out of mainstream orthodoxy in terms of the chizuk. I mean, it's just... Even, I don't want to mention the chief rabbi of England, but it was just appalling. I mean, people are dying and he liked, all he could talk about was, you know, the Jewish humor, the Jewish humor on social media. And that keeps us going through the ages. You know, I, I just, I, I'm just appalled by the drivel and the platitudinous, self-righteous I don't understand why our shul doesn't have a, a, a shul WhatsApp where people can express themselves. Why is it always 
vertical from the top down, you know. Who that. can create that? We can. We should do that. You're absolutely right. You can create it, sir. I don't know how to do it. I don't have you the just uh, You ask Goldster for a list of the, uh, the, the emails on the, on the shoe list and start a WhatsApp. Well, Alan can do it. WhatsApp is limited to four people. A Zoom. We do a Zoom. I don't know. You, do you understand what I'm saying? That why aren't why if we're a Kahila, why yeah, aren't I, we communicating 100%, with each other? Hundred percent. I was thinking that myself. Yes. Yeah. So Zoom I want to go best. to the very first word of the Zoom book is the best platform for this. Okay. And I want to look at two mishalim, uh, two parables, because as I've said many times, Chazal bury for the elite things they want to say but cannot in public. Uh, in these parables. And so the question when we read a parable is, uh, what's it doing there and why do we need it? Why can't you just go through the explication? So as I said last week, you have the text, then you have a problem that the Midrash uh, brings up in the text. Then you bring an intertext, which is a posset far away from that verse that you're trying to explain. And then Normally, you'd say, and therefore, I learn by bringing that to bear on that, a new idea. But we find about a thousand times in Midrash that there is a mashal, a parable, uh, placed as well in this pericope, in this literary unit. And the question then becomes, why is it placed there? So let's look at a machlokus between two Amoraim. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa and the rabbis. And they're looking at that ver- very first word, Vayikra El Moshe. And then it says, Vayadabe Hashem Elah. And the Lord called to Moses, and the Lord, sorry, he called to Moses, and the Lord spoke to Moses. A redundancy. Why do I need both? Obviously, most of it says in the Bible, Vayadabe Hashem El Moshe. So why do I have to say first by Yikra El Moshe and then by Adabe Elon? That's the question that the Midrash starts. Now, you know, from a literary perspective, you could say that it's the, in- the introductory verse and it requires some kind of formality. So Vayikra means calling up, you know, setting up an appointment and then speaking, you know, the formality of that. That's fine. But the Midrash isn't uh, interested in literary formalities. It's interested in redundancies because it considers the sacred text to be uh, very, very economical when it comes to its words. And if any words are extra, it may have to be interpreted. So Vayikra Rabbah is very early Midrash. It goes along with Breshit Rabbah, the first 14 chapters of Shmot Rabbah, Shihashirim Rabbah, and Eitha Rabbah. Those constitute the first strata of Tanaik, uh, Amor- first Amoraic um, Midrash. So Rabbi Hanina says, what is the reason that he calls upon him? Uh, it is a Loshan of Chiba, like Rashi says, right? Loshan Chiba. Lekol Dibros, Lekol Amiros, Lekol Tzivuyim, Kodmo Kriya. Rashi says that before God says, and, and, and we, the narrator says, and he spoke to him, there's a preface, and the preface is Kriya, calling, which is Loshon Chiba, Loshon Shemalachea Shores Mishtam Shimbo. That's the expression, the, 
the angels themselves introduce themselves or make use of Shenema Bekora Ze El Omar, as we say in Kedusha, Isaiah 6, uh, verse 3. Umos, but to the other prophets of the world, clearly the assumption is that he speaks to the other prophets of the world. Well, we know that from the Bible, right? He speaks to Bilam and and, and Lovon and Abimelech and Paro. He speaks to other nations. He's got to deal with them. He speaks to them in a manner of just, you know, arai. It's just very, very uh, momentary. It's not a permanent thing. Vituma in a state of impurity. Okay, that's what Rashi tells us that the reason we need the Vayikra before the Vayadaber, because for the prophets of Israel, there's this introductory proclamation and invitation by the king, you know, on a beautiful card, you're invited to speak to his majesty, and then you show up and he speaks to you. So now there's a machlokas between Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa and the Rabbanan. You're telling me that there is Nevi'e Israel and Nevi'e Ha'olam, right? Two separate groups of prophecy, two separate aspects of accessing the divine that we have in the world. One comes from what we uh, self-define as the chosen people, and one from humanity. Chosen people, the rest of humanity, prophets of Israel, prophets of the rest of the world. What's the difference? And so now, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa and the rabbis are going to tell us what the difference is. And they're going to both end up with Am Yisrael's Nevi'im speak to him and get invited, where the rest of them, they just don't. But what's the difference? The difference is in the mashal they use. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa is going to use a mashal, a parable about a king. And so the rabbis and i want you to listen to the parable and tell me what's the difference in the story of the parable but then what is the theological difference the <clears throat> theological perspective of how we view the divine in both of us so let's dive in rabbi hanina bar papa says to what can this be compared to a parable, lamelech, a fictional story about a king, Jehoyahu v'auhavo betraklin, he and his most beloved friend, courtier, citizen, were both in the traklin, in the palace, ubeinehem vilon, and between them is this uh, vilon, a curtain, a window, a partition, lahavdil bein hamelech ubeino lichvodo shelmelech, in order to separate him from the hoi poloi, right, the blue bloods from the rest of us, lichvod shel melech, because that's the covet of the melech, that's protocol. Court protocol required a separation between the king and the rest of the people. You still see it some places in which there's a palaquin and the king or queen are behind this, this, this curtain. In order to separate the royalty from the hoi poloi. Now, when the king wants to speak to his beloved friend, courtesan, so he would then fold apart the vilon, the curtain, 
until they would see each other face to face. Now, ponim and polim, you know, is not just, right? Kamayim el ponim, we know from Mishle, and ponim el ponim is used as a text by God uh, and by the narrator to show how close God and his beloved servant Moshe Rabbeinu was. Ponim el ponim, face to face, they would speak to each other, right? But in the mashal, this is just opening the window and the king speaks to Moshe face to face. Remember that word from Rashi, Loshon Chiba, this in a state of love, right? Face to face, he speaks with him. He has revealed himself openly in a loving manner, in, in good friendship. That's the mashal. It's a lovely mashal, very happy, right? All it talks about is his friend. The implication is that when he's talking to anybody else who's not his friend, what's happening? Behind the vilon. The vilon stays closed. The vilon stays closed because of the kavod of the mela. This story is about class distinction, royalty, and hoi polloi. It's about communication, levels of communication, <clears throat> levels of access to the king. Yes, the king has to speak to others, but he doesn't love them. They're not beloved by him. And therefore what? It affects the communication. The vilon remains closed. There is no gilui of the ponim, the revelation of the face, ponim el ponim, right? He's There's no exposure of self. If there's no exposure of self, there's no communication. It's all one way. You ask him something, he tells you something. There is communication at, a, at an emotional level. But we don't hear that. We just hear that part of the story in which we're told this is what happens to the one he loves. We're not told, like in many other Mishalem, and for people he doesn't, that's left to us. It's a very early Midrash. It's left to you to make that implication. Now let's go to the Nimshal. Kach. <laughs> the king is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the beloved is Moshe, obviously. Oh, not just Moshe. Notice how the Balamedrash extends this to all the prophets of Israel. Nevi'e Israel, ho'ahuvim alav, who he are beloved to him. Ein ha'vilon mafsik beinehem. This curtain is not a barrier between them. Because of his love for the Nevi'im of Am Yisrael, the vilon is not kept. It doesn't hold it back. And I'm going to show it to you for the other Nevi'im as well, but especially Moshe. Numbers 12, 8, when, you know, his brother and sister were criticizing him, saying Loshan Hora, and God says, right? I speak to him mouth, face to face. What are you talking about? You don't, don't compare yourselves to him. How dare you criticize him, right? So from that pair el pair, we see that God is saying, I'm speaking to Moshe 
and by extension to its prophets, per el per. V'chein el kol Yisrael. Wow, now we're extending it beyond Moshe to the prophets, to Kranz Klal Yisrael, the whole of the ecclesia of Am Yisrael, the chosen people. He extends that no mafsik, no vilon, open face-to-face dialogue because of love, as it says in Deuteronomy, in the first speech of Moshe Rabbeinu, when he talks about them being at Sinai, oops, Chorev, right? In Deuteronomy, it's never Sinai, it's Chorev. At the revelation, he says, Panim Panim Dibe Hashem Imachem. Moshe says to the people, now you, you keep the Torah and keep all this. You know why? He loves you and he spoke to you face to face. Okay, so that's Klal Yisrael. Now he will extend this, which he didn't do in the Mashal, but he does now in the Nimshal. V'chein nevuas kol neviye Yisrael, shehein mitnabim mikoach Begilui. Okay. Aval neviye umos ha'olam, but to the prophets of the nations of the world. Now the king has to deal with everyone. He can't just deal with his friends. He's the king. And here we have the king of the world. So he's running the whole world, not just Am Yisrael. Oh, okay. So he's got to speak to everyone else too. It's part of his, you know, administrative duties. So what happens there? Havilon mafsik beinehem mitoch she'enom ahuvimlo. Now he infers from the mashal in the nimshal that with the prophets of the world, this palaquin, this curtain, this partition is kept closed and separates him from them because they're not beloved. Does the world still continue? Of course. Does he still control the world? Yes. Does he still give orders to the other Navie Uras Olam? Yes. He communicates with everybody. The only question is how. Whether there's the Vilon, direct axic, ponim beponim, expressing his love of that courtier, Am Yisrael, Nevi'e Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu, or is there the separation, the formality of justice and administration and the executive branch without any uh, close access? That's the first mashal of Rabbi Chanina Bar Papa. Vayikra el Moshe, vayedabe elov, means I am getting close to because of love. I'm opening the window. Vayikra means he's opening the vilon, and then he speaks and contacts them. Now let's dive into the Rabbanan. Again, as we're reading it, I want you to be thinking that this isn't just a cute parable like we learn in Midrash for Kids, right? Or that we learned in school. And not only that it's just a nice ditty that adds to the Midrash, but it is actually the most profound thoughts that Chazal bury in this Midrash. And why would it be? There's always something radical that they want to say in the mashal that they can't say in regular speech. Rabbanan, mashal lema hadavadome lemelech shehaya lo isha. This is their vilon. This is their way of, of creating that separation. So they're not Beautiful. speaking spa- face to face. Right, right. The mashal itself is speech that's behind or a vilon. Yeah. Correct. Beautiful. The Melech Shehoyaluisha, a king had a queen. Very nice. Shehi Shelo Binesuim Kadat. And she belongs to him because 
they got married, there was a wedding, there was a ceremony, <laughs> Kadat, and it was legal, and it was officiated by all the priests and everything. Mm. So he's got this wife, and they're married, and it's formal. However, he also has upilegesh. Mm. He has a pilegesh, a concubine. She'ena nesua lo kadat, who's not married to him, kadat, according to the law of the land. It's a Pilegesh. I don't want to go into the history of Pilegesh, the legal history, because I don't think that what they're trying to say is a legal statement here. What they're trying to say is he's got a wife and then he's got a little bit on the side, if I can say it that way. All right? He's got a wife, formal, and a Pilegesh, not formal. Now, when he's going out for a walk with his wife on Park Avenue or on Buckingham Mall Park or wherever, he walks with her in public without shame so that everyone can see them walking with each other. But when he's walking with his pilegesh, who holech b'matmonim, he walks along the side streets. He walks in the alleyways, bedrachim nistarot, hidden pathways, kshehu matmin atzmo, as he has to hide himself along with her, because he cannot be seen with her. Unbelievable, Marshall. Hmm. A king, and I'm thinking of the president, <laughs> you know, when he's in public, he's with the first lady. And then when he goes to Moscow, or he goes here, or to, who knows what the hell he goes up to. It's all in hiding. One is appropriate, it's kadas. One is inappropriate, it's shelokadas. So why does he do it? <laughs> I don't have to answer that question, do I? But that's the mashal. So okay. interesting, because compared to the first mashal, everything that the first king does is appropriate. It's absolutely expected. Uh, he has to administer justice. He has to administer the realm. If it's someone who's normal, there's a vilon. That's protocol. If it's someone he really likes, his good buddy friend from old times, I'm thinking of Henry the fifth and, you know, Parsifal, right? Oh, he's, and Henry the fourth, he would go down all the pubs of London with him, right? Now he's Henry the fifth, but if Parsifal shows up, he'd open the window, right? But here, we're talking about the character of the king. The king wants to have it both ways. He wants the formality of the queen because she comes from good royal stock and she adds to his reputation and her father is a great king in his own right from across the land but on the other hand he wants a piece on the side because you know that's what men do now let's go into the nimshal okay we're gonna have to start a new meeting no no they've they've, they've given us a gift he just i've been told that the the zoom corporation oh. has given me a gift of a few more minutes okay I think they're listening in and they like the story. Uh, that's probably... Wow. The prophets of the world. He doesn't start now with the Nevi'eh like Moshe. 
He starts with the bad boys. The Nevi'e Umos Ha'olam, he reveals himself to the Nevi'e Umos Ha'olam only at nighttime in a hidden manner. Be'et ha'choshech, when it's dark outside, Loma she'ein heim chavivim olof. To say, maybe they're not so beloved to him. Shinema. Maybe. Not that they're not beloved, it's just that he's embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think, I think a later editor added, She'ain Chavidim, a from Art Scroll editor added, because it's in parenthesis. I, I didn't check the manuscripts, but I'm pretty sure when I learned Vayikuraba 18 years ago in the, with Buber's um, critical apparatus, that wasn't there. So, so what's I don't the nimshell here? Hashem is sneaking around with the Japanese on the side? What are we saying? Sne- Wait. Okay, I'm waiting. Shenema ba'avimelech haplishti, as it says in the Bible, by Avimelech the Philistine. Vayovo Elohim el Avimelech ba'chalom halayla. He came to him in a dream at night. His access to him was hidden in the darkness. No one could see. No one could prove it. Avimelech next said, next morning, go, you know, God just spoke to me. Oh, yeah, right. Prove it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if the Pilegesh would say to someone, you know, I, I went out with a king last night. We went down the old Kent Road and ha- had half a bitter. They would go, yeah, right. Tell me another one, right? So Avimelech can't prove that because God came to him, Benister. Belovon Arami. And when Laban, the Aramean, had a dream, by Yovelahim Elovon Ha'arami, Bachalom, same thing in a dream. And Bilom, by Elohim El Bilom Laila. He came to him at night, not during the day. Avol Nevi'e Yisrael, Niklalei, and Bayom. So this is a night-day thing. The king goes out at day with the wife, and at night when it's dark with the Pilegesh. God converses, has intercourse with the Nevi'e Umos Olom at night in a dream where it's hidden and they can't prove it. Avol Nevi'e Yisrael, Niklalei, and Bayom, as it says by Avraham, and God appeared to him after the bris. He was at the Pesach and he was waiting for guests and it was at the crossroads. Everybody could see it. And in the middle of it, he says to them, right? Excuse me, folks. I Sorry, I have to speak to the divine, right? So everybody could see it. And Uba Moshe, Exodus 6. And it was on that day, daytime that God spoke to Moses. The Eireh told us, and in Bamidbo 3, Bayom Dibir Adonai Esmon. So we have this totally amazing mashal of a king who just can't keep his hands off his Pelegesh, right? So he meets with her at night. So the implication is for the Bala Medrash that it's also about love. There's no love, but I've got to communicate with Avimelech and with this and then tell him, keep your hands of sorrow and keep your hands of here and don't you curse the Jews, right? So I've got to communicate with Lovon and Avimelech and, and with Bilam, but I really don't like them. Well, it's not like he doesn't like the Pelegish. No, he's just to be embarrassed to be seen with her, that's all. Right. So I think that's what it means. More likely it's, about, is it's on him. Otherwise, it's, why do it? Right. It's not on them. In the first Medrash, they are beloved, so the king opens the Vilon. In the second Medrash, he's got to talk to them. 
He doesn't love them. He's compelled to talk to them. There's no intimacy. With the Pelagius, where are we getting that, that there's no intimacy with the Pelagius? I haven't heard that. So you're saying it's not about intimacy, it's about shame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And during the day, it's uh, the formal uh, meeting with the Jews. Well, actually, it could be the other way around. It could be that the Pelagish is the beloved and the, the, the wife is for show, for public. Absolutely. She so is a family and blah, blah, right. blah. So it's about his shame. Yeah. There's a certain shame that he feels having to meet with them. Not having to meet with them. <clears throat> he might be eager to meet with them. Yeah. But he's he's not proud of it. At least that's what we're hearing from 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 the marshal. Yeah. Now I want you to ramp this up a step and let's talk theology. This is written in the third century. It's written in Palestine. Just think about Palestine in the third century. The Holy Roman Empire is now has hegemony. And just I want you to place yourself if you've ever Roman been to Caesarea. In Caesarea, there's a ruin of a church and a synagogue 500 meters from each other. Lieberman says that a polemic is going on. On Sunday, the priest is the early church father, like Oregon in, in Caesarea, is talking about Shir Hashirim. This is documented by Lieberman, so I'm, this is not my Fiddish. And he's saying that when King Solomon is saying about the beloved Lachod Dodi, Come by and beloved, I am asleep, but my heart is pounding for you, pining for you. I'm looking beyond the trestles inside. I'm searching for you. This is God in search of the ecclesia, which is knisia, the ecclesia, the church. The church is seeking its beloved, and its beloved is seeking the church. The next Shabbos, Rabbi Abahu, who taught Oregon Hebrew, by the way, it says it in Oregon's writings, he's saying the same thing, same text, Shir Hashirim, Odi. And if you read the art scroll, you'll never get a literal translation of Shir Hashirim. It'll say it right there. Come, my beloved Israel. I miss you. I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. My heart is pounding, right? Ani Yashena. My heart is asleep from Torah mitzvahs because I'm in Galut. The Libby air, but I still pound to do it, right? So the metaphor of these two communities, the early church community and the synagogue, both claiming the original same text of Shia Shirim, each one using it midrashically for their own theological purposes, right? One of the most vicious early church fathers is Justin Martyr and Tertullian, and they're writing on the Old Testament and saying, you Jews have lost the love of God, the right to Eretz Israel, the right to the temple, and the right to return because of what the prophets told you, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, that you have lost those rights. You may have been the chosen people, but the doctrine of supersession means we are the new Israel. We are the new ecclesia. We are the new church. Knowing that, and now reading these two Mishalim, and we know from Psikta Duraf Kahana and Psikta Rabati that many times these Mishalim were lifted out of sermons that were given on Shabbat and special times, the four Shabbases before Pesach <laughs> and the Shabbos HaGadol Droshas, and they were then lifted out and used by the Bala Medrash here. 
Knowing that, let's go back to the two Mishalim and see what the hermeneutic desire is in this Mishalim. Vayikra el Moshe, when Rashi says, it's a Loshan Chiba, we're not just talking about Avimelech and Lavan. We're not just talking about the Pelishtim. We're not just talking about Bilam. We're talking about the current third century attack and polemic against our very, very religion. And when we're bringing the mashal of a king, now I want you to think about the theological trajectory of what's being said, really, to the elite who understand that in the Holy Roman Empire, you can't say anything overtly. Holy Roman Empire. Sorry? Empire. Holy Roman Empire came along a lot later. This is still just the Stam Roman Empire. At this time. Well, 333 Constantinus. Right. I'm thinking that this is happening around that time. And you can't just speak openly. Politically, you can't speak openly. And I think theologically, you can't speak openly. Now let's look at those two Mishalim and see how they differ. In light of what we just learned about the political and socio, socio-political theological situation the Jews were in, right? So th- there is a king, and, uh, and he has to deal with the world. And there's a vilon. This is all about intimacy. He, from the outside, the law will come out. He has to run the world. He has to deal with every nation. And in fact, in Caesarea, there's a synagogue here, and there's a shul down the road. <laughs> right? But what's the difference between us, between us and them? They have a vilon. Not that they don't have access to the divine. We see it. Look at these beautiful churches with mosaics and these beautiful columns and Roman columns and bridges and circuses and theater. Israel is teeming with the Holy Roman Empire or whatever his precursor is, right? Building bridges. and But there's a difference, and the difference is intimacy, intimacy with the divine. He opens the vilon for us, and that is our comfort, that we have this close connection. Now look at the second one. Here I see an implied criticism, a protest, Mashal. What the hell are you doing with the Pelegish? You're married to us. We have a ksuba. It's called the Torah, sir. You can't just walk out mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. You can't just double two-time us. You can't sneak out on us at nighttime. We can see what you're doing. We see the church down the road. That's your Pelegish. Excuse me, what does that say about you, about your shame? You don't meet with them only at night. And with us, you meet during the day, but we know you're, you're, we know you're two-timing us. I see in that an inherent protest. Mm. It's very hidden. It's very subtle because it goes to the character of the king. What kind of a king does that? I mean, we know a president that does that, but what kind of a king does that? Right. And so I see the machlokus between Reb Hanina and Rabbanan as a kind of difference in Vayikra, in the sense of what does it mean to this chosenness? And Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa is trying to hold on to that old time relationship. He won't give up on that. 
He's going to find texts in which God only, yes, he has to speak to them. He has to deal with the rest of the world. But, you know, the velon is closed and with us it's open, right? And we've had that in our rabbinic theology for the last 2,000 years until the Warsaw Ghetto when the P.S. Etzner cries out and says, what happened? The velon is closed on us too, you know. But the second Rabbanan, I am, I am very moved by that. Being a man and being naughty and... <laughs> I understand the king, you know, I understand what marriage is and what the formality of marriage is and what urges, needs and desires are of the king. He has these urges. He, he's got to go out at night to the red light district. What can we say? That's what a man does. But he has shame about it. So he's not going to do it in public. And when we're looking at his behavior, and we're saying to him, we, we see what you're doing with the Nevi Olam. You should be ashamed. <laughs> you should be ashamed. How dare you do that? How dare you, how dare you do that? We have a Torah. We have a Ketubah. We're your, we're your wife. What, what, what kind of infidelity is going on here? And this is what's happening in the third century. For me, as a theologian, I am using that to understand how our response was <laughs> in the 11th century, in 1066, after the Crusades. And then in 1666, a year after the Black Plague, when the Arizal is looking at the, the Gerush Sfarad and all the dislocation of the great age of of the Spain, the golden age of Spain. And each time we have new Torah. After 1066, we have the Anche, the Hasidim of Ashkenaz. And then we have after Gerush Svarad, the Zohar, and then the Kabbalah of the Ari, and then in the 1700s, Hasidut. For me, that trajectory carries on this mashal, we see Mishalim used in each of those periods, all the way up to the Baal Shem Tov's Mishalim. And so I leave you with the only chizuk I can give, <laughs> that during this crisis, we will survive it, we will get through it, we will be battered, bruised, bleeding, but I hope new Torah will come from it. Thank you, everybody.